Theologian and radio host Dr. Michael Brown says that the only reason we like the prophets is that they're dead. If they were alive, we'd probably be trying to kill them. Now, I hope that's not true, but it's such a profound thought. Would we have listened to the biblical prophets, or would we have despised them if they were alive today? We'll discuss that idea today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, and I'm not a big fan of musicals, although there is one that came out earlier this year that I did kind of like. It was called Encanto, and it was about this South American family. They were all given these magical abilities and they were supposed to use their gifts to protect the city they live in or something like that. You know, to be honest, I can't remember all the details. Um, I remember there was like one family member who was super strong. There's one who could talk to animals, another who could hear anything, and on and on. So everybody had their own supernatural gift. Well, there is one member of the family, Uncle Bruno, and he had been run out of the town years ago because of his gift. Now, what was his gift? It was prophecy. He would tell people their futures. And come to find out, people didn't like hearing about what was going to happen to them. They didn't like all the things that he said was going to happen. So Bruno was actually kicked out of the family home. And for years, they refused to acknowledge that he was even part of the family. They said, we don't talk about his gift. We don't talk about what he said. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. So why do I bring that up today? To make the point that despite the amount of money that some people are willing to plop down on fortune tellers, most people actually don't want to know their future. Or another way to say it could be, people only want to know the good stuff that's going to happen to them. They don't want to know anything negative. They'd rather live with their delusions or their daydreams. They'd rather do that than accept a prophetic word that told them that something undesirable was coming their way or that their choices might have bad consequences. And that's what makes false prophets so popular because false prophets always have good things to tell you about your future. But we aren't going to talk about false prophets this time. That's going to be our next Ezekiel lesson. Note today, we're going to talk about true prophets. Prophets like Ezekiel, who got everything right but still weren't that popular. And to talk about that, we're going to begin at Ezekiel chapter 12. Well, I'm really excited to be bringing you this episode, and um, it's another one uh, from my recording studio in the basement. Uh, so you're going to hear some of the, the air conditioner that's running over here next to me. And, you know, I just can't do anything about that right now. But hopefully it's not. Uh, I, for all I know, you don't even hear it at all. But um, hopefully it's not too distracting as we go along. 
So I'm excited to begin this part of Ezekiel because this is kicking off the next major section of the book. Um, I personally divide the book of Ezekiel up into five parts, and I'll go ahead and give you my breakdown. So chapters one through 11, those are all a unit about the fall of Israel. And so that's why we've been discussing that a lot. It's about the reality of the fall. Now chapters 12 through 24, those are also about the fall of Israel, but they're gonna be focused on why Israel is going to be destroyed, the reasons for the fall. Chapters one through 11, the reality of the fall, the next, well, 12, 12 through 24, so the next 13 chapters, these are gonna be the reasons for the fall. So these chapters are more concerned with the moral problems in the city. And I'm really looking forward to talking about that because we're gonna be able to pull so many personal applications from this section to our lives today. And then after we get past chapter 24, Ezekiel stops being about Israel and he starts prophesying about the neighboring countries. So chapters 25 through 32, those are gonna be the next section. Those are all about seven evil nations that surround Israel and what God has to say to them. And then from chapter 33 onward through the, through the rest of the book, Ezekiel starts giving future prophecy. Chapters 33 through 39, those are about events going on right now. They're very pertinent to, to current events. And then chapters 40 through 48, those are about the millennium. So we still have a lot of Ezekiel left to go, but today this is gonna kick off the next major section. So chapters 12 and 13, these are gonna be about prophets, both true prophets and false prophets. And I've decided to break these chapters up into three lessons. We're gonna cover the first 20 verses of chapter 12 today. And this discusses how to, how to respond to a true prophet, or rather how not to respond. So Ezekiel 12 verses one and two. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Now I'll just note that if this sounds familiar, it's because Jesus quoted this to explain why he used parables. Like Ezekiel, Jesus was a prophet. He spoke God's words to the people, sometimes about the future, but generally about what we were dealing with in the here and now. And also like Ezekiel, Jesus used parables. He used stories that were metaphorical to explain spiritual truths. And why did Jesus do this? Well, he, he said he did this to conceal truth from certain listeners, that only those who wanted to dig in and understand would be able to ascertain the truth. We'll keep reading at verse three. As for you, son of man, prepare for yourself an exile's baggage and go into exile by day in their sight. You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. You shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exile. And you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight as those do who must go into exile. In their sight, dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. In their sight, you shall lift the baggage upon your shoulder and carry it out at dusk. You shall cover your face that you may not see the land, for I have made you a sign for the house of Israel. And I did as I was commanded. I brought out my baggage by day as baggage for exile. And in the evening, I dug through the wall with my own hands. I brought out my baggage at dusk, carrying it on my shoulder in their sight. So to recap here, God told Ezekiel to act out another sign. He says, pack a suitcase, dig a hole in your wall, crawl out with your, with your suitcase and leave town. And if you recall from before, God had told Ezekiel that whenever he's doing these sign acts, he is not supposed to say a single word while he does it, unless God tells him to speak. 
So God says, here's going to be another weird one. This is going to get everybody's attention. Everyone's going to be wondering why the crazy prophet in town is packing his bags and leaving. And he's not just leaving. I mean, he dug a hole through the wall of his house and he's crawling out of, out of that hole instead of using the door. So, you know, God made Ezekiel do a lot of bizarre stuff. And some might wonder why Ezekiel was told to go outside and dig the hole in from, from the outside and then to go back inside and to crawl out. And so, um, <laughs> you know, some people wonder about that. I think the reason's obvious. Ezekiel was digging from the outside so that everybody could see him doing it because he's supposed to do this to get attention. You know, you keep seeing a phrase throughout this chapter, in their sight, in their sight, in their sight. God wants this all to be done in their sight. He wants them to see it. When Ezekiel is done digging and goes inside, then he can dramatically climb through the hole and leave town with his packed bag. He's supposed to cover his face so that he can't see anything. Seeing is a major theme in this chapter, and and we're going to explain why soon. Seeing and sight are the major words of this chapter. God wants the people to see what Ezekiel is doing and ask questions about it. Ezekiel 12, verses 8 and 9. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? So as you can see, God wants the people to be asking questions about it. And we'll keep going. Say to them, thus says the Lord, this oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are in it. Now let me pause there for a second. Ezekiel is to tell them that this is a sign act about the prince of Israel. And whenever he says prince right here, it's talking about their king, King Zedekiah. However, Ezekiel refuses to use the word king to talk about Zedekiah. In Ezekiel's eyes, Zedekiah is an illegitimate king because he only got his kingship, basically the Babylonian king, and that was Nebuchadnezzar. Um, About a decade before this, Nebuchadnezzar had run through and carried off the previous king, which was Jehoiachin. And before Nebuchadnezzar left, he told Jehoiachin's, I think it was Jehoiachin's uncle, which is Zedekiah, he said, okay, you're going to be king now instead. So for the last 11 years of Jerusalem, the king was this guy Zedekiah. And and he had not become the king legitimately, you would say. He basically just got lucky because Nebuchadnezzar just picked him and said, okay, you be king now. And Ezekiel doesn't like that. He refuses to even refer to him as king. Now, if you read Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you see that they just clearly have no respect for this guy. They think he's a coward. They think he's a fool. I mean, because he is. And, um, And by the way, this prophecy about digging through your wall and just taking a packed bag and running off, this was a prophecy about Zedekiah. Because whenever Jerusalem falls, Zedekiah, he is not one of those noble captains who's going to go down with the ship. When Babylon starts invading Jerusalem, Zedekiah has this escape plan. He's going to try to sneak out the back (laughs) through a hole in the city wall. He's going to try to get out of Dodge with his family. So he's just a worm of a man. Like he doesn't, he doesn't even want to stay in Jerusalem as it's falling. He's going to try to sneak off and just let everyone else die. That's the kind of guy that Zedekiah is. Verse 11. Say, I am a sign for you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it. He shall cover his face that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it and he shall die there. So Zedekiah, the prince in these verses, he tries to escape. But, you know, if you know his story in the Bible, 
It's no use. He's overtaken by the Babylonians. He's caught in their snare. And Zedekiah, he has a really terrible fate. We'll get to it in a minute. Really bad stuff happens to Zedekiah. You know, as terrible as he is. I mean, it is enough to make you feel sorry for the guy. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, notice here what it says about the land of Babylon and, and uh, Zedekiah. In verse 13, it says, yet he shall not see it. Okay? That's what it said about Zedekiah in reference to the land of Babylon. Yet he shall not see it. So there is actually a significant note behind this verse. And, and this is one of my favorite things to teach from the Bible. Zedekiah, when he got this prophecy, he thought this was a contradiction. Zedekiah actually liked this line. It said he would never see the land of Babylon. So Zedekiah thought, if they're saying I'll never see Babylon, I guess I'm going to do all right. Because if they try to invade, apparently, like, I'm going to get away, I'm going to be okay. Because I'm not going to see Babylon. So Zedekiah, he just wanted to ignore all the negative prophecies. And he just focused on this one good thing. But like I said, there's two prophets who lived at the time of Zedekiah, and they did not much care for him, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So Jeremiah also had a prophecy about Zedekiah, and it went this way. Chapter 34, verses 2 and 3 of Jeremiah read, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. You will not escape from his hand, for you will surely be captured and delivered into his hand, and you will see the king of Babylon eye to eye, and he will speak with you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. So according to Jeremiah 34, Zedekiah is prophesied to go to Babylon. And as we read from Ezekiel, Ezekiel had said, you will not see Babylon. Zedekiah, as I said, he liked this because this was a contradiction. It meant he could disregard what the prophets were saying because they did not seem to be making sense. And the Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote about this, okay? So this is not what I'm about to read something. It's not from the Bible. It's from Josephus, who was this ancient historian who wrote a lot of stuff about the Jewish culture. He was Jewish himself. Listen to what he wrote about Zedekiah. Josephus said, Ezekiel also foretold in Babylon what calamities were coming upon the people which when he heard, he sent accounts of them unto Jerusalem. But Zedekiah did not believe their prophecies. For the reason following, it happened that the two prophets agreed with one another in what they said, as in all other things, that the city should be taken, and Zedekiah himself should be taken captive. But Ezekiel disagreed with him, and said that Zedekiah should not see Babylon, while Jeremiah said to him, the king of Babylon should carry him away thither in bonds. And because they did not both say the same thing as to the circumstances, he disbelieved what they appeared to agree in and condemned them as not speaking truth therein. Although all the things foretold him did come to pass according to their prophecies. So, in other words, Zedekiah told the two prophets, okay, these guys who, <laughs> who hated his guts, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he said, look, you guys don't make sense. One of you says I'm going to Babylon. The other one says I'll never see Babylon. This is a contradiction. And so Zedekiah rejected both of them on this basis. He used this as an excuse to say, we don't talk about Ezekiel. But it's a pretty good question. One prophet said Zedekiah would go to Babylon. The other one said he would never see Babylon. It does make an interesting apparent contradiction. But what actually happened to Zedekiah? 
Well, I'm going to pop over to 2 Kings 25, verses 1 through 7. Now, this is going to describe the whole besieging of Jerusalem. And, you know, how we talked about before from Ezekiel that one-third of the people starved to death, how horrible it's going to be when Babylon finally invades. These verses are going to describe the events that Ezekiel has spent several chapters warning Israel about. Okay, and then in the midst of this, Zedekiah packs his bags and tries to escape with his family and leave everyone else behind. So let me read these verses from 2 Kings 25. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, by the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were around the city. And they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. So Zedekiah has one of the worst fates I can imagine. He is captured, and then as punishment for trying to flee, they removed his eyes from his head right there on the spot. And, and to make it all worse, the very last thing that Zedekiah ever saw was his own sons being killed right in front of him. That was the last thing he ever saw. Then they took his own eyes. And, I mean, he had to live with that memory for the rest of his life as a Babylonian slave. Horrible thing that happened there to Zedekiah. And it's not that he didn't... Like I said, he was a terrible leader. Um, I mean, he had been warned by the prophets not to try to escape. And then this is what happened to him. So he brought this on himself. But, I mean, it's a fate you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. It's awful. Uh, but, you know... In the midst of all this, if we could just pull one really interesting tidbit out, it does reveal how both Jeremiah and Ezekiel's prophecies could both come to pass. Because yes, Zedekiah was taken to Babylon, but no, he never saw it. This chapter is a great example for us of whenever we're confused by Bible prophecy. Because some people find it so confusing, like they they don't even care to try to understand it. And I'll admit, sometimes it can leave your head spinning. <laughs> Prophecy can do that. But someday, in retrospect, it's all going to make sense. Even the parts that seem contradictory. God's going to make all this prophecy fit together perfectly. And this chapter is an example of how he can do it. Prophecy never fails. And I feel like God is actually being a little bit ironic in this chapter of Ezekiel. Because there's, this, this big, there's, there's been this big emphasis on seeing the whole time. Like the phrase, in their sight. It was in the chapter seven times. And then this ultimately ends up being a prophecy about a man who will lose his sight. So I see that as, as foreshadowing, maybe even some dark humor. Um, but the irony is really strong with this one. Okay, well, let's wrap up this chapter with a few notes about uh, the rest of the people in Jerusalem who do survive the onslaught of Babylon, because Ezekiel has something to say about them. Ezekiel 12, verses 14 through 16. And I will scatter toward every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops. And I will unsheath the sword after them. 
And they shall know that I am the Lord when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. But I will let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord. Israel's purpose in the world was to point people to God. And if you recall from earlier in our study, God had said to Israel, you will be an example for the world. Now you can be an example of what to do, or you can be an example of what not to do, but one way or another, you will be an example. And so he says again here, I will allow some of you to survive, and you'll be scattered throughout the nations of the world, and you're going to be my missionaries. And you can tell the people there, look at what happened to us because we rebelled against the true God. So as we see one way or another, God is going to be glorified. God could have been glorified in Israel's righteousness, but instead he's going to be glorified in their just punishment. And the whole world's going to know about it. And then for these last verses, uh, Ezekiel does just another shorter sign act, and this is to signify what's going to happen to the rest of the Jerusalem dwellers other than Zedekiah. So Ezekiel 12, verses 17 through 20. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink water with trembling and with anxiety. And say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the land of Israel, They shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink water in dismay. In this way her land will be stripped of all it contains, on account of the violence of all those who dwell in it. And the inhabited city shall be laid waste, and the land shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So this is just a shorter sign. Ezekiel is supposed to act freaked out. And when the people say, why are you quaking? Like, why are you all shaky and anxious? Then Ezekiel will tell them, this is how those people in Jerusalem are going to be pretty soon. This is how they're going to be themselves. And I'm not sure how, you know, because there's a geographical distance between where Ezekiel is and where Jerusalem is. But we know like from those records, from what I read from, uh, from Josephus earlier, we know from historical records like Josephus that somehow all these messages, they were being communicated to Jerusalem before Babylon attacked. So God was continuing to warn them, apparently, until it was too late. But then eventually it was too late. And they had no one to blame but themselves because they hadn't had ears to hear or eyes to see. And when it came to the prophetic warning, all they had said was, we don't talk about Ezekiel. Well, we'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap and some personal application of this chapter. And if you have a question on any of it, leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you think I should tackle in the future. Now, next time on this podcast, what I'm working on is an episode about the book of Galatians. And this is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I just can't wait to tell you why. So look for that next time. And then for the episode after that, we're going to be back in Ezekiel to finish chapter 12 and start into chapter 13. Those two chapters are really all about true and false prophets. And the main idea that we could probably pull from them are that when people are living in sin, they're going to reject the true prophets and they're going to love what the false prophets have to say. And I think a modern application of that idea, like since we don't have as many prophets running around today, um, we could probably say there's two types of pastors that we have. I mean, if we wanted to, we could come up with dozens of types of pastors. But I'm saying as a baseline, we have two types. We have the true ones and the false ones. 
And, and how do I differentiate? Well, it's the pastors who are willing to tell people the truth, even at great personal cost. And then you have the pastors who lie to you to make you feel good and to benefit themselves. Now, the next couple of Ezekiel studies, they're going to deal with those false prophets, those pastors who will lie and deceive the people. But this one here, this was about a true prophet. It was about Ezekiel. And as we heard, the people didn't much care for what he had to say. Like they had 10 prophets telling them about a coming deliverance for every one prophet who was telling them the truth to get comfortable in Babylon. But the truth is not left up to a democratic vote. Truth is based on what God says. And God was speaking through Ezekiel. Now, when you stand with God and whenever you stand with what God says, you win. People might not like you very much, but at least you'll win. And when I say you win, I mean, you'll, you'll be the last one standing in the end. Uh, it might be in heaven, but in the end, you'll win. When you stand with what's popular, you'll probably lose. Because God's message is often not what is the most popular. And for a cross-reference on that today, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 23, starting at verse 29. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So Jesus begins by pointing out to these Pharisees that, you know, it's easy to say, hey, if I had lived in Ezekiel's time, I would have been on Team Ezekiel. Jesus says, you know, when you say that, you're, you're kind of an idiot. I mean, that's my paraphrase of what Jesus says. But Jesus is like, that's a stupid thing to say. Because it's easy to say that. Anybody would say that. But our actions, that's what testifies to the truth. And the truth is, most people are cowardly. They, they just want to go with the flow. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to put a negative spotlight on them. They don't want to be seen as going against the grain. You know, a lot of us look back on some of the atrocities in history, uh, like slavery in America. And, you know, we say things like, if I had been alive in the 1800s, I would have opposed slavery. Or, you know, if I had been alive in the 1950s, I would have given Rosa Parks my seat on the bus. And nobody can really know that. But the truth is, most likely, that we would have gone with the flow of what's popular. Or maybe we would have known that certain things were wrong, but we, we just would have tolerated it. Because that we would say that's just how things are. So I'd say that's not good enough. Because look at today. Look at the evils of things like gay marriage and abortion and transgenderism taking over the culture. What are you going to do about that? Are you just going to tolerate it and say that's just how things are? Are you going to use people's preferred pronouns, pretend that Bruce Jenner is a woman, defend the so-called woman's right to choose? You know, if you are, don't tell me that you would have fought for the Northern Army in the Civil War, because you're just someone who goes along with whatever's popular. The only way you would have fought for the North is if you were born way up there in the North, because otherwise, you'd probably just go along with whatever's popular. Okay, it's not good enough to just say, that's just how things are. There's people today, they say, oh, well, you know, abortion's wrong, but it's not going anywhere, it's in our laws. You know, you could have said that about slavery 100 years ago, that wouldn't, or 150 years ago. That wouldn't have made it all right to support it. You don't go by what's popular. How do we know whether we're following God and not the culture? Well, let's actually, let's go back to what Jesus said. He had a pretty good way to, to, to know the distinction. He says in Matthew 23, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? 
Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. So what Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, the way you treat me, that shows you would have treated those old prophets the same way. So for you who are listening, maybe you ask, how can I know whether I would have stood up against the evils of slavery? How can I know whether I would have went with Jesus to the cross like John did? Or whether I would have fled like the rest of the disciples? How can I know whether I would have stood with Ezekiel when Ezekiel was standing alone? Well, here's what Jesus says to that. What are you doing with the prophets who are standing for truth today? Because he said he sends prophets to every place and every generation. And, and he says, are you standing with them today? Are you standing on the side of truth today? Or are you just going along with the culture and what it wants to do? Are, are you distancing yourself from those who speak the truth? Are you, are you saying, oh, well, those are the radical fundamentalist Christians. You know, I'm not one of those kind of Christians. Like, are you embarrassed to be associated with those who tell the truth the most boldly? Are, are you censoring yourself from saying too much to avoid getting canceled? Are you trying to make everybody happy? Well, whenever you try to please everyone, you, you tend to not please God. And as Jesus says, you can look at past generations, you can judge them as harshly as you want, but there's evils in our generation too. And are you doing anything about those? In America right now, for the past five or six years, there's been this constant relitigation of slavery. You know, people will just not shut up about slavery. And it's like, guys, everybody agrees today about slavery. It was bad. Okay, it was horrible and evil. But eventually... We have to move on. We have to focus on the problems of today. The decisions that you or, or your parents, that they make today, that has a lot more impact on your life than whether your great-great-great-great-grandfather was a slave or a slave owner. You know, it's time to focus on the evils of today and to stop judging those people who lived in different times because God's going to judge them and God's going to judge you. And what are you doing about the evils of your age? Are you listening to the pastors and the prophets who speak truth and righteousness today? The ones that God is sending today. Um, I visited this church recently. It, it's a popular church in our town. And the speaker, he's got this communication gift that is one of the best I've ever heard. But theologically, his sermon was about an inch deep. Great communication ability at like a 10 out of 10. But his biblical scholarship on that sermon, it was like a 1 out of 10. And nothing he said was heretical. Like, there were a lot of great one-liners that were sprinkled throughout, but he simply did not exposit the verses that he read. And, and you know, as I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, I could see why the church is so popular. I mean, the message was delivered super well. It just didn't have any depth. And most people nowadays, they want the exciting, charismatic, dramatic speakers, and they're not as interested in theology and doctrine. So I hope that you are at a church today where truth is prioritized. Even if it makes some people leave, even if it hurts some feelings, but I hope you're not embarrassed by the word of God. I hope you're willing to live by it, even if people call you names. I hope you're not ashamed of the gospel or the righteous law of God. If Ezekiel were alive today, he'd probably say a lot of things you like and a lot of things you don't like. If Jesus were alive today, he'd probably say some things that offend us because he's perfect and we aren't. But I hope you'll still read your Bible with an open heart 
and let it speak truth into your life. And I hope you'll still talk about Ezekiel. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that prophecy never fails. Oh, 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 oh